0: Third Lecture, Part 2 of On the Future of Our Educational Institutions by Frieser Nietzsche, Translated by J. M. Kennedy. This LibriVox recording
1: is in the public domain. Indeed, said the philosopher, laughing. There are many philologists who have turned back as you so much desire, and I notice a great contrast with my own youthful experience consciously or unconsciously large numbers of them have concluded that it is hopeless and useless for them to come into direct contact with classical antiquity hence they are inclined to look upon the study as barren superseded out of date this herd has turned with much greater zest to the science of language here in the wide expanse of virgin soil where even the most mediocre gifts can be turned to account and where a kind of insipidity and dullness is even looked upon as decided talent with the novelty and uncertainty of methods and the constant danger of making fantastic mistakes here where dull regimen and routine and discipline are desiderata here the newcomer is no longer frightened by the majestic and warning voice that rises from the ruins of antiquity here everyone is welcome with open arms including him who never arrived at any uncommon impression or noteworthy thought after a perusal of sophocles and aristophanes with the result that they end in an etymological tangle or are seduced into collecting the fragments of -of out-of-the-way dialects and their time is spent in associating and dissociating collecting and scattering and running hither and thither consulting books and such a usefully employed philologist would now fain be a teacher he now undertakes to teach the youth of the public schools something about the ancient writers although he himself has read them without any particular impression much less with insight what a dilemma antiquity has said nothing to him consequently he has nothing to say about antiquity a sudden thought strikes him why is he a skilled philologist at all why did these authors write in latin and greek and with a light heart he immediately begins to etymologize with homer calling lithuanian or ecclesiastical slavonic or above all the sacred sanskrit to his assistance as if greek lessons were merely the excuse for a general introduction to the study of languages and as if homer were lacking in only one respect namely not being written in pre indo-germanic whoever is acquainted with our present public schools well knows that a wide gulf separates their teachers from classicalism and how from a feeling of this want, comparative philology and allied professions have increased their numbers to such an unheard-of degree what i mean is said the other
0: it would depend upon whether a teacher of classical culture did not confuse his greeks and romans with the other peoples the barbarians whether he could never put greek and latin on a level with other languages so far as his classicalism is concerned it is a matter of indifference whether the framework of these languages concurs with or is in any way related to the other languages such a concurrence does not interest him at all his real concern is with what is not common to both with what shows him that those two people were not barbarians as compared with the others in so far of course as he is a true teacher of culture and models himself after the majestic
1: patterns of the classics i may be wrong said the philosopher but i suspect that owing to the way in which latin and greek are now taught in schools the accurate grasp of these languages the ability to speak and write them with ease is lost and that is something in which my own generation distinguished itself a generation indeed whose few survivors have by this time grown old whilst on the other hand the present teachers seem to impress their pupils with the genetic and historical importance of the subject to such an extent that at best their scholars ultimately turn into little sanskritists etymological spitfires or reckless conjecturers but not one of them can read his plato or tacitus with pleasure as we old folk can the public schools may be seats of learning not however of the learning which, as it were, is only the natural and involuntary auxiliary of a culture that is directed toward the noblest end, but rather of that culture which might be compared to the hypertrophical swelling of an unhealthy body. The public schools are certainly the seat of this obesity, if indeed they have not degenerated into the abodes of the elegant barbarism which is boasted of as being German culture of the present. But, asked the other, what is to
0: become of that large body of teachers who have not been endowed with a true gift for culture and who set up as teachers merely to gain a livelihood from the profession because there is a demand for them because a superfluidity of schools brings with them a superfluidity of teachers where shall they go when antiquity peremptorily orders them to withdraw must they not be sacrificed to those powers of the present who day after day call out to them from the never-ending columns of the press We are culture. We are education. We are the zenith. We are the apex of the pyramids. We are the aims of the universal history. When they hear the seductive promises, when the shameful signs of non-culture, the plebeian publicity of the so-called interests of culture, are extolled for their benefit in magazines and newspapers as an entirely new and the best possible full-grown form of culture whither shall the poor fellows fly when they feel the presentiment that these promises are not true where but to the most obtuse sterile scientificality that here the shriek of culture may no longer be audible to them pursued in this way must they not end like the ostrich by burying their heads in the sand is it not a real happiness for them buried as they are among dialects etymologies and conjectures to lead a life like that of the ants even though they are miles removed from true culture if only they can close their ears tightly and be deaf to the voices of the elegant culture of the time you
1: are right my friend said the philosopher but whence comes the urgent necessity for a surplus of schools for culture which further gives rise to the necessity for a surplus of teachers when we so clearly see that demand for a surplus springs from a sphere which is hostile to culture and that the consequences of this surplus only lead to non-culture indeed we can discuss this dire necessity only in so far as the modern state is willing to discuss these things with us and is prepared to follow up its demands by force which phenomenon certainly makes the same impression upon most people as if they were addressed by the eternal law of things for the rest a culture state to use the current expression which makes such demands is rather a novelty and has only come to a self-understanding within the last half century i e a period when to use the favorite popular word so many self-understood things came into being but which are in themselves not self-understood at all this right to higher education has been taken so seriously by the most powerful of modern states prussia that the objectionable principle it has adopted taken in connection with the well-known daring and hardihood of this state is seen to have a menacing and dangerous consequence for the true german spirit for we see endeavours being made in this quarter to raise the public school formerly systemized up to the so-called level of the time here is to be found all that mechanism by means of which as many scholars as possible are urged on to take up courses of public school training here indeed the state has its most powerful inducement the concession of certain privileges respecting military service with the natural consequence that according to the unprejudiced evidence of statistical officials by this and by this only can we explain the universal congestion of all prussian public schools and the urgent and continual need for new ones what more can the state do for a surplus of educational institutions than bring all the higher and the majority of lower civil service appointments the right of entry to the universities and even the most influential military posts into close connection with the public school and all this in a country where both universal military service and the highest offices of the state unconsciously attract all gifted natures to them the public school is here looked upon as an honorable aim and everyone who feels himself urged on to the sphere of government will be found on his way to it this is a new and unique original occurrence the state assumes the attitude of a mystagogue of culture and whilst it promotes its own ends it obliges every one of its servants not to appear in its presence without the touch of universal state education in their hands by the flickering light of which they may again recognize the state as the highest goal as the reward for all their strivings after education Now, this last phenomenon should indeed surprise them. It should remind them of that allied, slowly understood tendency of a philosophy which was formerly promoted for reasons of state, namely, the tendency of the Hegelian philosophy. Yea, it would perhaps be no exaggeration to say that, in the subordination of all strivings after education to reasons of state, Prussia has appropriated, with success, the principal and the useful heirloom of the hegelian philosophy whose apotheosis of the state in this subordination certainly reaches its height
0: but said the philosopher's companion what purpose can the state have in view with such a strange aim for that it has some state objects in view is seen in the manner in which the conditions of prussian schools are admired by meditated upon and occasionally imitated by other states these other states obviously presuppose something here that, if adopted, would tend towards the maintenance and power of the state, like our well known and popular conscription, where everyone proudly wears his soldier's uniform at regular intervals, where almost everyone has absorbed a uniform type of national culture through the public schools, enthusiastic hyperboles may well be uttered concerning the systems employed in former times, and a form of state omnipotence which is attained only in antiquity and which almost every young man, by both instinct and training, thinks is the crowning glory and highest
1: aim of human beings to reach. "'Such a comparison,' said the philosopher, "'would be quite hyperbolical and would not hobble along on one leg only. For, indeed, the ancient state emphatically did not share the utilitarian point of view of recognizing as culture only what was directly useful to the state itself.' and was far from wishing to destroy those impulses which did not seem to be immediately applicable for this very reason the profound greek had for the state that strong feeling of admiration and thankfulness which is so distasteful to modern men because he clearly recognized not only that without such state protection the germs of his culture could not develop but also that all his inimitable and perennial culture had flourished so luxuriantly under the wise and careful guardianship of the protection afforded by the state the state was for his culture not a supervisor, regulator, and watchman, but a vigorous and muscular companion and friend, ready for war, who accompanied his noble, admired, and, as it were, ethereal friend through disagreeable reality, earning his thanks therefor. This, however, does not happen when a modern state lays claim to such hearty gratitude because it renders such chivalrous service to German culture and art. For in this regard its past is as ignominious as its present, as a proof of which we have but to think of the manner in which the memory of our great poets and artists is celebrated in German cities, and how the highest objects of these German masters are supported on the part of the state. There must therefore be peculiar circumstances surrounding both this purpose towards which the state is tending, and which always promotes what is here called education, and surrounding likewise the culture thus promoted which subordinates itself to this purpose of the state with the real german spirit and the education derived therefrom such as i have slowly outlined for you this purpose of the state is at war hidden or openly the spirit of education which is welcomed and encouraged with such interest by the state and owing to which the schools of this country are so much admired abroad must accordingly originate in a sphere that never comes into contact with this true german spirit With that spirit which speaks to us so wondrously from the inner heart of the German Reformation, German music, and German philosophy, and which, like a noble exile, is regarded with such indifference and scorn by the luxurious education afforded by the state. This spirit is a stranger, it passes by in solitary sadness, and far away from it the censor of pseudo-culture is swung backwards and forwards, which, amidst the acclamations of educated teachers and journalists, arrogates to itself its name and privileges and meets out insulting treatment to the word german why does the state require that surplus of educational institutions of teachers why this education of the masses on such an extended scale because the true german spirit is hated because the aristocratic nature of true culture is feared because the people endeavour in this way to drive single great individuals into self-exile so that the claims of the masses to education may be so to speak planted down and carefully tended in order that the many may in this way endeavour to escape the rigid and strict discipline of the few great leaders so that the masses may be persuaded that they can easily find the paths for themselves following the guiding star of the state a new phenomenon the state is the guiding star of culture In the meantime one thing consoles me. This German spirit, which people are combating so much, and for which they have substituted a gaudy attired locum tenens, this spirit is brave. It will fight and redeem itself into a purer age. Noble, as it is now, and victorious, as it one day will be, it will always preserve in its mind a certain pitiful toleration of the state. If the latter hard pressed in the hour of extremity secure such a pseudo-culture as its associate for what after all do we know about the difficult task of governing men i e to keep law order quietness and peace among millions of boundlessly egotistical unreasonable dishonourable envious malignant and hence very narrow-minded and perverse human beings and thus to protect the few things that the state has conquered for itself covetous neighbors and jealous robbers such a hard-pressed state holds out its arms to any associate grasps at any straw and when such an associate does introduce himself with flowery eloquence when he adjudges the state as hegel did to be an absolutely complete ethical organism the be-all and end-all of everyone's education and goes on to indicate how he himself can best promote the interests of the state Who will be surprised if without further parley the state falls upon his neck and cries aloud in a barbaric voice of full conviction yes thou art education thou art indeed culture third lecture